What's up, y'all? Jonathan Wiseman here. This is an episode of The Grit. And with me today, I got my boy, Garen Jones. We go back, shit, what, 25 years or so? Longer than that. <sighs> Fuck, how old am I? 30 years. I graduated in 1998. So it was when I was a little kid. That was 22 years ago. Yeah, I remember. Well, I was kicking it with your brother, and I remember you yeah. would always be running around and, let me come with y'all. Let me come <laughs> hang out with you. We're like, man, keep your ass yeah. at home. So, yeah, it yep. was probably closer to 30 years. Yep. Damn. Mm-hmm. We getting old. But I feel you. younger now. I feel younger now <laughs> yeah, than I ever did, so I'm not even tripping. Yeah. All right, cool. So Garen Jones is a transformational coach, and he's going to give us some details about that. Uh, what he's doing these days, but I actually want to take it all the way back to the beginning, see where it all started, and what helped you get to where you're at today. But first, yeah, I want to thank you for coming on the show, brother. Uh, Appreciate thank you, you for being having here. me. Absolutely. So let's take it all the way back, Garen. Tell me where you started. Where'd you grow up at? So I grew up in Missouri City, Texas. Um, I always felt like a loner, and it was one of those things. Uh, my father, he was murdered when I was 12 years old. My mom was always at work. My brother at the time, because we're really good friends now, but at the time he was too cool to hang out with me. So I always felt like I was alone and I would hang out with anybody who would take me in. So whether it was running with certain gang members or it was running with whoever the troubled kids were, if you took me in and whatever it is that they were doing, I would do. So if it was breaking into houses, breaking into cars, I didn't see anything wrong with that. I was just doing uh, what you thought was cool, what I thought was cool. And because the people who I looked up to were doing it, I'm like, yo, I'm about to do that, too. So I could be uh, socially accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you don't when, when it's your peers that are doing all the negative shit, you don't know any better. Right. You don't have a parent to tell you. Absolutely. You, you know, your big brother aren't letting you kick in it. And, and most <laughs> likely. And I grew up with your brother, yeah. Anthony. You know, if they're not letting you kick it and you're just going to go hang out with whoever's accepting, it's also a lot easier to get accepted into those negative crews Absolutely. than it is, you know, where, well, I don't even know what to call them, the, the preppy kids or the, 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 the jocks or the cool kids. I remember I went to four junior highs and four high schools. So I moved around a fucking ton. And every time I went to a new junior high or new high school, it was so much easier to fall in line and be accepted by the kids that were causing trouble. And it was a lot easier for me to blend in with them. And luckily it made me a chameleon where I was able to kind of blend in with whatever crew. Yeah. But it was always the ghetto kids, the ones that were cutting up, causing trouble that were the most receiving or accepting of you to come kick it with them. Yeah. So I'm assuming it was the same thing with you back. Absolutely. And you know what it is? I'm, I'm one of those, those people and I'm still like this today. You give me a challenge and I'll do it. I've, I've been like that since day one. And I, I, you know, but my mom, she actually instilled that in me. But at the time, because you can't see the picture while you're in the frame, I didn't know exactly what that was. I'm like, Mom, I want these $150 Jordans. She was like, well, when you can make your own money, you can buy whatever you want. <laughs> you tell a five-year-old that. So next thing you know, I didn't know I was that was me and my young entrepreneur spirit. spirit but like, okay, if I make my own money, I can buy what I want. Bam. I broke into the rec center. <laughs> I stole all the stole pixie all the sticks, candy. the candy, the blow pop, selling them for for a dollar, and I'm selling them at school. Broke into the rec center. I and this was literally at age six and seven years old. So I broke into the rec center. 
um, I had a lemonade stand and I had people working for me. So it's so funny how the same tools that I felt like I was forced to do when I was five, six, and seven are the things that one of the the major tools that has me massively successful because I've been a mastery for it for so many sure. years. Um, but just lemonade stand, washing cars, mowing lawns, whatever it took for me to get these $150 so I could buy my Jordans. And then my mom goes, well, where'd you get the money for that? I was like, mom, I lemonade stand this, I cut lawns and she'll tell you, she was like, he was relentless when he wanted something and you told him no, he would find a way to do it. So that along with running with the kids in the streets, that just gave me that grit and that grind to just whatever I want, I'm gonna get it. And if you tell me I'm not gonna get it, trust me, I'm gonna get it 10 times faster. Back then, you didn't have any mindset as whether you cared if it was legit or not, legal or not. Nah. You were like, I'm gonna do whatever the fuck it takes yeah, to get it. Because I, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, there's no right or wrong. There's only new levels of awareness. I didn't have an awareness because the people that I was hanging around, Said they were it was doing, right. yeah, they were doing what they were doing. So naturally, you know, you, people grow more through culture than they do just, you know what I'm saying? Flowers that grow in bunches grow much faster uh, together than they do by themselves. So I was around a culture of people and naturally whatever they, they did, I was, go I was going to do. So I didn't know that it was like instinctively, instinctively, I knew that it was like wrong, but there was a fearlessness about whatever I was doing. I was more focused on this is what I want and I'm going to do whatever it is to get it. You mentioned something and you skipped right over it fast as fuck. You said your pops died. Yeah. When, tell me a little bit about that. You can't just be like, oh, my dad died and my mom raised me and uh, I was over on Locked Up Abroad. Let's go back, man. Tell so me what happened. My, my dad, um, he, he, li he actually lived in Third Ward and two men broke into his house and they beat him up really bad, hit him with a hammer, shot him, and he, they left him in a pool of blood. And that was just something... Like I was supposed to be over his house and I didn't go and I didn't visit him in the hospital because I didn't want to see him like that. Sure. You know, I made it my fault for a long time. So that was my self-sabotaging story. It's my fault my dad died. It's my fault if I would have been there and that, that whole thing. So it, it, I let it get to me for so many years until I got to like 10th grade. And that's, that was on the butt. Like when I, after I was 12, like once I hit 12, that's when I started doing all the crazy stuff and going in and out of juvenile and doing kick doors and breaking into cars and houses and stuff like that. So is that how old you were when this when your pops died? You were 12? I was 12 years old. Yep. So, and that's when all the shit started. I just stopped caring about everything and I started just anything there was to do, I had no zero remorse. It was like, I felt like half of me died and it wasn't until... It was like he came to me in my dream and said that he was mad at me because I was heading down the same road that he that he went down and that I won't like that road. In that moment right there, I I I, I switched, started making good grades, started being good in school because I didn't want to piss. Me. I I didn't I didn't want to um, like the way in which the dream was so real and the way in which it came. I was like, man. It, it, 
maybe he's still here watching over me. Maybe that's my angel. Maybe it's my, it's like keeping me out of certain things when maybe I should listen to that voice. How old were you when that voice came to you? I was in the 10th grade. Okay. So you were what, 15-ish? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So when your pops died, how did that affect the relationship with you and your brother? Did it bring y'all closer? Because I know you said that y'all weren't always so close and you were- Oh, we didn't brother. get close until I was what? 32? Okay. So me and my brother had never, like growing up, we were never close. That was my brother, but we were never close until like I moved out, learned about life. We apologized to each other for stuff that happened in the past. And I let go of my resentment towards him. He let go of his, whatever his th deal was, I forgave, he forgave. And all of a sudden what, what, what became available is the love that we knacked that was already there, but it was surrounded by our bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. That's dope. Well, and I know your brother and we used to be friends back in the day when we all grew up together and yeah. I have two older brothers. And so I completely get it. And how far apart are y'all in age? Three years? Four years. Four years? Yeah. Okay. Because Josh was a year and a half older than me and Marcus was five years older than me. And, Got it. You know, I just think back to those days when they would go to house parties or keg parties to go yeah. kick it and i'm like yo jay let me come and he's like fuck you you know stay at home and i was only a year younger than him mm -hmm. so i can't imagine a four-year difference i can see why there was probably you know so much separation and i was also in all fairness like everybody is so here in missouri city that like everybody was pretty much the same so you had your kickers you had your gang bangers you had your prep kids there was but there was like a specific pattern i had my own pattern. I wore clothes differently than everybody. I would speak about like space and stars and things. I feel like we're not the only ones here. And people are like, yo, what are you talking about? So I was like a weirdo to like my brother and his friends. It's like, why does your brother wear this big yellow backpack with all his books, long socks, but nobody else was wearing clothes like that. And it was just like, I was my own it's how I am now that people actually appreciate, but it got, I got picked on a lot for being not so like everyone else. Why, why do you think you did that? Was it just your style? You know what it was? Yeah, I'm going to take it back. My mom used to always say, oh, that doesn't match. Oh, you should cut your hair and you should do this and you should do. And I, I hate when, tell, when people tell me I should do something without asking me, what do you like? Yeah. And so I remember one time my mom had said something and I snapped and I say, like, mom, ask me if I love it. But I didn't know that I was even at a young age fighting for my own freedom because people tend to be domesticated by whoever the authority figures are, mom and dad. That's why people often follow the patterns of the mom or the patterns of the dad, whether it be drugs, physical abuse, alcohol, whatever, whatever was going on in the house tends to be a specific kind of language that people live and they go on to carry on that language. I was like in my own, and that's probably why I felt alone. And I would just, who would take me in? The outcasts. And even right now, I'm still the outcast, but like now the outcasts are like the unique people who are appreciated. They're like, wow, you're just so different. I'm like, but to me, I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that stand out are now the yeah. cool kids. Now it's cool <laughs> it's to be funny a dork. how that works. It, isn't it? It's really crazy. So we're talking about Mo City and where we grew up at, but at some point 
you hit a certain time when it was like, I got to get out of here. I got to bounce. Well, I knew that long time ago. So here's the thing. Um, so I was in special education class, not for all of my classes, but for reading and certain things. So I was in special education classes. Um, and what would normally take somebody six, six months to learn, I mean, um, six days to learn would take me six months to learn. And my processing speed wasn't as fast as a, a lot of other people's, most people. Um, so the only way to get me to learn is through like energy and colors and shapes and things like that. So I'm in mastery of patterns. So okay. I can see patterns like certain computer scientists sees code, but I've been in mastery of patterns since I was a little kid. So I always know when a specific pattern even happens in my life. Like sometimes people will be like, why is the same thing keep happening to me? Okay, what's the pattern? There's a pattern breakdown and you've got to break whatever pattern is. When I started to understand how life flows and you got to, if you want a new life, you got to break that pattern so you can alter your reality. So when I was a little kid, um, I, there was a specific pattern that was going on. And inside of that, I could recognize superstar athlete, popular person, and all of a sudden they stay home and all of a sudden drugs, alcohol, they don't go on to do anything. And I saw this when I was seven and I said, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here, but every time I would bring it up to somebody, they'd be like, oh, no, nah, man, all your friends and family are here, whatever. And every year I'd be like, man, I think I'm, I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, even my girlfriend is like, well, but it, uh, you're going to go to a school in a different state, but why? It was almost like the, the magnetism of where I lived was trying to get me to stay here, which what I now know is anytime you have a dream or a wish or a prayer or a desire, it unlocks the equal of its resistance that's designed to test you to see if what you want is what you really want. But at the time I couldn't see it. So what that was is family saying, stay here. Grandmother saying, stay here, stay here, stay here. So I had to break the pattern and then go. And so I knew from an early age I've got to go. Soon as I graduated, I'm out of here. Well, it sounds like you had a different part unlocked already in your mind, which you do naturally. Yeah. That is wanting you to do something different. Yes. How old were you when you finally broke that cycle and you were ready to get out? As soon as I graduated, I said, I'm out of here. A bird will never know how far it can fly until it first leaves the nest my nest was that comfortable environment. If you stay comfortable, you'll never know your potential in life. So as soon as, but this is as I'm connecting the dots, looking backwards on my life. But back then I knew that it was time to go. So as soon as I graduated, I was like, I'm out of here. And I went to Kansas. And How'd I, you get to Kansas? What picked Kansas? Well, I mean, I got a, a track scholarship. Okay. So I went to Kansas and I was like, I need to go somewhere different. What school I, was it? So I went to Barton, uh, Barton County Community College. Okay. So I said, I need to go somewhere different. I just need to get away from the weather and everything. I get to Kansas. It was the exact same thing. 
as Houston, as Missouri City. It was the same thing. School was in the eye of a tornado. There was hurricanes, all kinds. Of, I was like, yo, I need to go somewhere where nobody knows my name. Everything is completely different. And the only thing I could think of is I got to figure out a way to get to California. And that's how, that's how the whole transition started. It was somewhere that completely took me way out of my comfort zone. And I had to learn how to adapt and adjust to whatever that new level was. So how did that journey begin to California? Um, so I transferred to Long Beach, uh, Long Beach City College to run track. Okay. I was in Long Beach and then I met a few guys, got a part of a singing group. Then ended up going to the Beverly Center. We used to just sing everywhere, trying to get a record deal. Met this one guy, which was, met a guy, and he was like, man, I want to sign you to, to my label. Going to fly you out to Ohio. And I'm like, well, I'm going to leave the music to go capital to, to go to. But I, I didn't know. Yeah. So I go to Ohio. Next thing you know, there's a machine, a plastic machine gun to my head to be, me being forced to sign a contract. And if I don't sign it, this is what was said to me. You know why it's plastic? Why? Because when I use it, I can melt it. And so I signed a contract, all three of us, with a machine gun pointed to our head. And that was the first sign of, yo, like, I had to adapt. And here's how I got out the situation. We're at a, um, a music convention in Miami called, uh, it was, at the time it was called Impact in uh, South Beach. I remember it. He had asked us to carry his briefcase home and no one knew why. He came with the briefcase, but he asked us to, to carry it home because we drove to the place he flew. And I was like, man, open it up. Nobody would open up because this guy was a really scary guy. I ended up opening up and his gun was in there. And I was like, yo, I'm about to throw it out. He's like, no, throw it. I was, what's he gonna do? We got his gun, threw the gun out and I said, I'm not going back to Ohio. So like, no, we gotta go back. I was like, listen, I'm not going back to Ohio. I got out of the car. This is when I unconsciously learned about the, powerful, uh, the power of being an example. How, how old were you at this time? 17. So you were 17 years old. You were going to college. You got transferred to California. Oh, I was 18, 18. 18, got yeah. transferred to, to Long Beach on a track scholarship or that's how you made your way there. Yeah. You got into the music business. Somebody. Well, I wasn't really in yet. You, you had your foot Kinda, in the door. Yeah. You're, you're working your way on it. Yeah. Started singing, started traveling a little bit. Some dude gets his hands on you, takes you to Ohio, signs a contract. And next thing you know, you're just involved in some crazy ass shit. Going Yo, on. it was, it's like that leaf that you think is a small leaf is actually the top of a giant oak tree. And I could not believe, I'm like, yo, this is like a movie. Yeah. So then I get out the car. I said, I'm not going back to Ohio. And I have this streak in me. If when I really mean that I'm not doing something, there is no convincing, no, no amount of money. I was walking, no phone, no money. And I was walking. I didn't know where I was walking to, but I knew for a fact, I'm not going back to Ohio. All of a sudden, they drove back. They had the car. They drove back because of my certainty. 
And it was like, okay, we'll go back to California. Boom. So that's where you went, back to Cali? Yeah. And what happened with dude? Were you still under contract with them? Well, the contracts was inside the... Uh, In the briefcase? Yeah. Them <laughs> shits was ripped up, burned. And I was like... Everything that we that we were looking, so we had the gun, we had the contract. I was about to say, so with your burn. your mindset back then, did you keep the gun? Did you sell it? What'd you? Oh do no, with I it? threw it out. All right, threw it out, and uh, get back to Los Angeles, and I just, I'm just like, man, how do people make it? So then, I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, what's it called? I'm gonna start clapping in audiences like the people at the game shows because I need some money. So I start clapping in audiences. I'm um, uh, going on game shows, doing like MTV things because all this stuff was in Craigslist and I would sign up for everything. And I said, one day I'm gonna make it. One day I'm gonna make it. One day, then somebody's like, you should be a model. Mind you, at the time I was five, I'm six one now. At the time I was five nine and the going rate to be a model is, is six one and above. And so I made a list of all the, uh, the agencies and I put the easy ones first and I put Wilhelmina, uh, Ford and Wilhelmina last. I got rejected every day, four times a day with all those different things, but I just have this thing that I'll just keep going because when I want something. You're gonna go for it. My mom instilled that inside of me and she didn't, when I want something, I'm gonna get it. Do you think it was your mom or do you think it's something you're born with or both? My mom unconsciously woke it up inside of me. I think everybody has the capability. Most people will never discover it because of whatever their limiting beliefs or stories are. But something about my she mom woke prodding it. me woke something up inside of me where if I want something, I'm gonna get it. I get you. So what happened with your modeling? So, so, um, so as I was, somebody told me that I should start modeling. And then when I told somebody what I was about to do, they was like, you? <laughs> I have this thing. Don't you ever tell me I can't do something because it just wakes up this, Yeah, it, it's this thing. And so I, I call him Prove It Pete. Prove it, it's, it's like my alter ego. Don't tell me I can't do something. So I wrote down every, Every agency in Los Angeles put the easy ones first, put the hardest ones last. Didn't have a car. During that time in the year 2000, that was, it wasn't like too many um, uh, African-American models in the high fashion industry, maybe Source Magazine or music videos and things like that, but not in high fashion. And that's what I wanted to do, like a Tyson Beckford or something. Boom. I get rejected by all these agencies. We already have somebody that looks like you, mind you. I go through three days of rejections, but a little voice and says, says, keep going, you come this far. I finally get to Wilhelmina, which was the hardest agency to get into. And I was getting ready to leave. Keep going, you've come this far, just keep going. Boom, I get there and then the agent looks at me and is like, in my head, I'm like, I don't look like anybody. I have no abs, I'm 5'9", I'm black, I'm this, I'm that, I'm all these insecure things. It's like, we love to represent you. You don't look like any of our models. So the thing that I was insecure about was the reason why they hired me. That's what landed you the job. Landed, I, I got sent on Buckle campaign, uh, uh, Skechers campaign, and the Beyonce 
jumping, jumping video. And I booked all three and I didn't even go to the, the jumping, jumping video, uh, can't, uh, audition Beyonce was with uh, Wilhelmina. She just happened to come there, handpicked my card off the wall and said, I want him to be my love interest. That's dope. Crazy. That's yeah. amazing. So that's how that whole thing happened, but it wasn't fulfilling for me. Just so, money is not fulfilling for me. Sure. So for a lot of people, you know, that it, it's it's a dream or it's it's something untouchable to be able to just pick up and move to L.A. Yeah. And, and we know a lot of people. You've done it. I know a lot of other people here from Houston that have just left and gone to L.A. and just started new lives. Yeah. How difficult was that? What do you do financially? How do you cover your overhead? Do you go there? Did you know anybody? Did you just show up? I know you originally went there by way of school. Yeah. But once the school thing fizzled out or you graduated and we didn't talk uh, about no, I, how I, that. I left. <laughs> so when you leave school <clears throat> financially, what do you do? How do you survive? Who do you know? So I'm one of those people that I don't need much to get by. Why? Because I never had much to, to begin with. I never had much to begin with. So I never, the environment in which, like all my clothes, I never had new school clothes. Everything came from a garage sale. You know what I'm saying? So I never had much to begin with. So if, as long as I could go back to what I'm used to, it doesn't matter. I don't matter if I'm sleeping on the floor, sleeping on bubble wrap or anything like that. That's what you grew up. You with. know what I'm saying? Even though I never really slept on a, I slept on a mattress that was on the floor without box springs. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I didn't know it wasn't like, Oh my God, I used to have all of this and now I have nothing. I went back to what I, what I, what I knew. Yeah. And so because I didn't have a high overhead, and I went out there with my cousin Marcus and I ended up leaving there because it just wasn't a favorable environment for me. Um, I told, uh, told these, uh, these Asian girls that at school, I was like, oh, you know, the sob story. I don't have a place to stay. My cousin kicked me out. This, you can come stay with us. They were cooking for me every night. We were all <laughs> sleeping in the same bed. Bro, it's crazy. And then they ended up leaving. And then that was the first time I was living in my car. Then that's when the modeling happened. When the modeling happened, the first three jobs that I booked was worth $7,500. Instantly, I have an apartment. You know what I'm saying? So it's this thing that, 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 that evolved into the next thing that it's like a, the, the caterpillar. A pattern. You know what I'm saying? The caterpillar into the butterfly and then boom. So that was like the first stint, but during this time, I wasn't doing any self-development. I wasn't reading, no mentors. It was just, I was on this solo journey trying to figure out how are people being successful. So how long did that modeling career last? How long did that high go for? For a good, from 1999 to, to 2000. Okay. 2001. So about two years. 99, 2000, 2001, about two and a half, almost three years. Okay back and forth between here and New York. Cause I, when I was in it, I was making money. I was a grinder. Tell me what the whole modeling career, cause you were back and forth from LA to New York. Yeah. You're doing some traveling. Yeah. How did that career end? How did you find out or when did you decide this isn't working out? I can't, you know, continue to do this. Cause modeling is an actual career. Yeah. It's a career choice. You're really self-employed. Right. Uh, cause it's all up to you, how you act, how you perform, what you do, what you're capable of doing. How did that journey end? 
you know, I, I have this thing that if I, if I don't love what I'm doing, you can't pay me enough That's fair. to do it. And I, and I've always been like that. If I don't feel it, if it's, it's, if it's not doing anything for me, I don't want to be a robot to money. And I, and I've seen that. I've, I've seen that. So without, at the time I wasn't conscious of it. I'm like, yo, I'm just not feeling it. They're booking me for jobs. I'm just like, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And then there's something I think that's inherent inside of me that always says, I know there's more. And it's the same little kid that says, I know we're not the only one. I know that there's more or whatever. There's more. So unconsciously I was possibly seeking for more because I, I wasn't being fulfilled inside of that space of modeling people just looking at me and they're just like, and I felt, I started feeling like a piece of meat and I wanted to do something with my life that had some kind of meaning and they're just like oh you look good you look good you look good you look good and i'm just like so in that space right there when i'm not and i have a very strong energy when i'm not happy with something you're it's gonna time know. to move on you're you're gonna know well, not personally, no. It wasn't shortly after that that you got into some trouble. Yeah. So how did it transition from, you know, being a model, being yeah. on top of your game, making money, traveling, doing all the beautiful shit that most people, I mean, if you think, if you go back to when you were in Mo City, yeah, that's what you wanted, right? I yeah. mean, that's what you were, you know, you wanted to be a star, wanted to be a celebrity, wanted to be a model, wanted yep. to get the girls, wanted the money, I wanted to be in LA. You're fucking doing it. Yeah. And then once you're doing it, you're like, oh, it's not what the fuck I thought it was. The typical success story. So how did that transition from modeling and at the top of your fucking game to drop into your rock bottom? Well, here's the deal. When you, when you don't come for money and you get money for the first time <laughs> and, you, and you don't have any kind of guidance around it. Yeah, I get you. Yo, you start acting an ass. So me, I was, it, it, what was the first thing you did when you got a sizable check in? What was the first thing you did when you were like, Oh, I made it. What was the first thing you did? With I went money? to Dolce and Gabbana and bought some $600 <laughs> pair of shoes and I was, I bought some $500 pair of jeans and I was just spinning. I was like, I don't understand. I just had $10,000. How did is, I spend it all? There's no money in my account. It was like, I had a hole in my account. Cause I didn't understand cash flow quadrant and those things and how to make money like live and breathe and grow and, and, and amplify. I had no idea. And so during that time, it was like, I, I, I would spend all this money, but I'd be right back to where I was. But I didn't know that money is only matching who you see yourself to be because it, it's the, it's the value in which you see yourself in the way the the physical evidence of your life shows up. But I didn't know that at the time. So I, I was insecure. I was this, I had money. So now my thing went from taking pictures of, man, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get this money. Now my greed turned into, don't matter what it is, I'm going to get this money. 
So even at the top of my game, I wasn't thinking about at the top of my game or I was in all these music videos or I was on billboards and in magazines. I'm like, yo, I need to get this money. So that's when, you know, I had a girlfriend in France. She was Miss, Miss France uh, 2001. Um, and she had went out of town and then I went to a nightclub and I saw some people I never hung out with in LA, but I knew from being in the club scene in LA and instantly I'm just like, so when you're in a different country that doesn't speak the language and then you even hear somebody speak English, yeah. the, the communication just goes really high. So when I see somebody that I've seen before, I approach them. It's but, an man, automatic relationship. What I'm but the way that they were living, that's the life I wanted. I'm like, they had the girls, they had, but it was a different level than I'd ever seen before. I'm like, yo, how can I be down with that? Yeah. This is when the conversations start having, happening of, um, you know, I, I might have an opportunity for you and things like that. I'm, I need you to drive this car to here. Don't ask, don't, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Boom. I pay you 4,000 pounds, 4,000 pounds during a time where was it one and a half on US? No, nah, it was like 2.1. On USD? It was like 2.1 USD for one pound. It was when the pound was crazy. So that 4,000 pounds eight was G's. like $8,000. Well, I did the route seven times. And within a three-month time slot. And so... Whenever I would do modeling, I'd have to wait for my check and it'd be like a month, two months till I got my check. I had never made money where it was like, boom, here's the cash. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. you make the delivery. They hand you an envelope. You see what I'm saying? But it was like, yo, this is so much easier. I don't have to do this. I just go. And I never thought about the repercussion. It was just like one track mind. I'm going to get what I want. I've maintained the same personality my whole life. So that's how that whole. Did it ever concern you? I mean, basically at what point was it? Don't ask, don't tell, drive this car that you realized you're basically trafficking. I mean, that's what it came down well, to. Well, when I, when I got, um, when I got, when they finally was like, we were gonna check your car, cause they never So even, prior, so you did it seven times. Yeah. Prior to that. Not one time. Not one time you're like, I'm trafficking drugs or something. Well, yeah, cause I, my conscience is, if I don't know what I'm doing, I can always be like, well, I, I don't know, I'm just driving my friend's car. And not one, I never had anything on my conscience because I never asked what it was. So therefore, if I never knew what it was, I'm actually telling the truth. So even if you put me on a seismograph, I never knew what it was. It's 100% accurate. And this was going on in which country? In France and to, to Rotterdam. I mean, uh, in, in the UK to Rotterdam. I mean, uh, over in the UK, over the ferry to Rotterdam. And I just going back and forth and I just kept doing it. And then they switched the route. And everything about the route, everything felt wrong. Everything. <laughs> the tire got on a flat. I'm like, yo, it's, it's almost like the universe was saying, stop. Yeah. Something else happened. Stop. Was, was it not in your pattern? Huh? <laughs> you were talking about patterns earlier. The pattern changed yeah, up I didn't, on I you. didn't catch that one. I didn't, I didn't catch that one. And I was like, 
And as soon as they got me, and I was like, yo, what the hell was I thinking? So what country were you in when it happened? France. And tell me how it went down. What happened? You get to a checkpoint? So this, I got to a checkpoint. Every other time, they never stopped me. I showed them a magazine, went straight through. On this time... Uh, explain that. You said you showed them a magazine. So I had a magazine, and I was on the cover of a, mag, a model magazine. So and you're on the cover of a magazine. You're like, hey, I'm a model. Yeah. I'm going to a show. Harmless. Yeah. Harmless. This time... They didn't want to see your, your magazine or your six-pack? Get out. They're like... It, the whole thing was different. The whole, the way in which everything was happening, everything was just different. It was like, we're going to x-ray your car. Goes to x-ray the car, and then I'm looking. They're having me look at the x-rays, and I see these, like, little shadows inside of the Congo drums. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck is that? All of a sudden, my heart's just boom, 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 boom. Boom. They open up the Congo drums and it was empty and they were confused because on the deal, it's like you see the shadow. So they took the axe, broke the con, like chopped the, the wood and they pull out these little yellow bricks. And I don't know. My, it was like my heart was beating outside of my body. I was like, yo, my life is over. And I don't really know because if this is anything like America, I'm like one. I know I can fight my ass off. I don't, this whole prison thing, I don't, like, how is that going to go? And even in America, yo, you're going, you're going for at least 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, fear just set in. They sat me in a room, and they were asking me all questions, kind of questions in broken English, and they showed me video surveillance of me with the people. And I said, that ain't me. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Trying to deny it. Well, here's the thing. I know who I was dealing with, though. Yeah. You know, I got a kid, and I don't... In that moment, I was like, well, I'm going to take responsibility for it all. And and also going to save my family's life. I knew exactly who I was dealing with. Yeah. Because these weren't people that, that you just say stuff. This is, like, big time. So? So you took the rap on it. And made the front page of the newspaper member of the American connection. I was like, what the fuck? What is that? And here's the crazy thing. It was connected. It was even deeper than I A lot bigger knew. than you thought it was. Yo, once all this stuff came back, it was connected to mafia stuff. It was connected. It, it's like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I don't know nothing about that. Yeah, I was just a little dude driving across the ferry. It was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden they're putting me into a different kind of security. I'm like, yo, what's, it, this is movie stuff. Now I've got to adapt. I've, I've got to figure out how to adapt to the environment that I, that I put myself in. And here's the, here's the thing that I said. You know, I used to break into houses, break into cars, and I never got caught. I got, I got caught a couple times. I went to juvenile for six and a half months uh, in like ninth grade, 10th grade. But there's a lot of stuff I didn't get caught for. And I've, I've always been taught anything you put out, it's going to come back. If it don't come back now, it, it will come back. Yeah. That energy is like a boomerang. I, I feel that. And when I got caught, I said, you know this what? This is it coming back. I cannot believe that it's coming back 15 years later. I'm like, wow. 
and I knew why I was in there. It wasn't for that. It was I'm for everything you price do. And for everything that I thought I got away with that built up and 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 built up. Now you gonna have, and this is what I knew, no matter who you are, whether you come into money, whether you come from the hood, in order to get the kind of life you want, want you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay a certain kind of price. Everybody gotta pay a price and you'll be rewarded for the price you had to pay if you learn the lesson. Yeah, bro. That's deep. Yeah. So when you get arrested, yeah, what is your first thoughts going through your head? How did I get myself into this? How did I get myself into this? Oh my God, I have ads in magazines right now. I'm on billboards in You're New on York. covers of magazines. I'm on covers on uh, in magazines. Did that, they bring the media out? Yo, no. Nah, it was all they didn't even they didn't know anything about that. So all that stuff was going on. And I'm like, I had just booked some real big gig with MTV. Didn't even make it. Gone. I don't even know. I don't even know what even happened with that. I didn't even get to make the the deal. Yeah, you were gone. <laughs> no representative to go talk for you either, I'm sure. No representative. So yeah. what was your charge? So they didn't sentence me till after my first year. So I'm in there. And they're investigating and doing all kind of stuff. So after a year, so in America, you get your phone call right away. My first phone call was after one year. Wow. Half the people of my friends thought I was dead. Because, see, in there, people will send letters home. They get the letters back in a week. Because I'm international, they had to scan everything. And so my letters took three four months to go out and come back so it took that long for me to write people and tell them yo i'm alive you know this is this is what's happening you know i don't know i didn't know what was in there that's the scariest part about being yeah, locked bro. up is the unknown yeah not knowing that was always the scariest part it yeah is not knowing when you're getting out who knows you're in there if nobody knows if you're just left there and not having control, being able to do anything. I can't imagine, how'd that feel? I, it, it, was, it was one of the most difficult times I had in my life because I had just had a daughter. How old was she? At the time, she was, let's see, she was born in 2001. I went in 2002, so she wow. was like one and a half. Man. And so I was like, man. So my daughter was one and a half. I'm facing a 12 year sentence. They sentenced me to 12 years because uh, I got sentenced, with, um, it was 6.2 kilos of heroin. And, and I'm the most anti-drug person, never had a sip of alcohol in my life. And I'm in there for drug charges. So it didn't even make sense to them because they were like fact checking and everybody was like, what? That is not him. No. Heck no, nope. So nothing was coming back. Oh, he's known for this. He's known for that. So go back. You've never drank before. Never. You've in never life. done drugs. You've been clean your whole fucking life. Yep. Wow. Yep. From the neighborhood we grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, but you know what it is? It's I, I seen when I was five. This the pattern thing again. My dad was a raging alcoholic. A lot of people in my family were alcoholics. So when you got somebody 
that's acting a certain way. And I remember my, I saying to my mom, I say, mom, this can turn a person into that. I don't even want to try it. So I never even been tempted to try even a sip. Of course I had my vices other places. Sure. That was the cars and all this and I couldn't stop it. I, that, that, it, that crazy personality, but it just never, it never really, I, I was never enticed by it because of what, what I saw, saw growing up. So what that told me is you can actually make different decisions according to what you learn in your environment. Sure. Because a lot of people that I grew up with, some of my best friends, they're not here right now for that same reason. Yeah. Prison for life for that same reason. You know? And I was like, I made a left and other people made a right. So it's a, it's something that I often think about. I'm like, damn, I was the one who like led the charge, led the way. I would go swimming in Alligator Island so I can get golf balls, so I can sell them four for a dollar and other people would follow me. And so that was like the whole, yeah, man, it's it. We, we're unpacking a lot yeah. while we're catching up. No, nah, I feel you. Yeah. I mean, and that's what's cool. And that's what the audience doesn't necessarily know is we go way back. Yeah. I mean, 30 years back. And I know I kicked it with your brother a little bit more than yourself, but I remember you being around. I remember us kicking it and doing different things in the neighborhood. And, and although we might not have always ran together, right? we ran in the same circles and everybody knows everybody that's from the Mo, that's from the hood, that all right. grew up together. And it, it really is cool because I know we were talking before we started this a little bit, catching up on some stories and just yeah. on history. And it's just crazy to see you know, who and what from where we came from to where we're at today and what we're doing. And, and it, it is full circle. It is a pattern. Like you were saying, you know, it's, and I love that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to do the, not trying to, you're fucking doing it. The transformational coaching where you're, you're giving back to the community. You're giving to others that didn't have the opportunity. You're giving so much forward and back to everything. And that's one thing I'm trying to do in business with what right. we're doing. I mean, obviously we gotta be in business. We gotta make money. We got overhead and bills to pay and employees to feed, but it's really about giving back. Absolutely. If we were able to grow up together, come out of the same hood, get to a certain level where we're able to give back. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And so to share those stories, to talk about it, to talk about the ups, the downs, the crazy shit in between. We did a lot of the same stupid stuff when we were younger. And, you know, that's the real shit that people don't see. You know, yeah. we're talking about being entrepreneur, being successful. It's, they see the cars, they see the houses, they see the pictures. And most of that shit you see on social media, not from, you know, you or I specifically, just in general, people highlight all the good. Oh, yeah nobody shows the downs or the bad or the ugly or the, the fucked upness or, you know, just going all the way back, all of those valleys. Yeah. Pe people don't show that shit. It, it's, you know, you were talking about in my office, you're talking about how you always saw me as that successful entrepreneur that was doing these nightclubs and running all these badass establishments and kicking it with the girls and driving the cars. Yeah. Dude, that was the worst motherfucking time of my life. Damn. You know, it looked pretty from an outside, but it fucking sucked. I wasn't a good dude. 
I fucking was driving a hundred thousand dollar whip, but I couldn't afford fucking gas to get to work half the fucking time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Nobody saw that. Yeah. We ran a successful club for a year or two years, made a shit ton of money, but then there was eight months of building the next club where we had to spend every fucking dollar we made building the next establishment where we went broke or went negative trying to pull it off and open up January 1st for that big fucking party. If everything didn't match up perfectly, go right, open up the doors. And it was successful that first month where we did six figures in that first month. I'd be fucking history. You know, it's, they don't see that shit. They only see the fucking, you know, the, the front side of it. So I appreciate you, you know, coming back and, and showcasing everything that you are. So people see, all sides of your story absolutely and i appreciate the willingness and the giving that you have inside yourself mm. to give back to others absolutely it's absolutely fucking beautiful and, and i appreciate you doing that growing up together coming from the same hood yeah it, it's something that i've always tried to do and to see somebody else doing it thank you yeah you're welcome man and it it it, it it's really cool and it makes it uh it makes it so it makes the journey it makes me me appreciate the journey so much. And people are like, yo, it's how can you constantly travel for five years straight, be on stage speaking to 30, 40,000 people and like reach all the people? Because I feel like I've been brought through so much in my life that there's certain points, my story, your story, that you can say something. Somebody's like, dang, I went through the same thing mentally. And so my ability to give back is simply to be like, man, I took so much. Yeah. And if you just when and we're not created to be keepers, we're actually created to be givers. You can't even hold, we can't even hold the, the liquid that we're drinking. That's going to come out. So if you're just holding on to your gifts, holding on to so many and holding on, holding on things around you are going to start dying. And I seen that with my own feelings and my own eyes. So what I realize is, when I started self being a selfless, selfless giving, giving my gifts away and the abundance of the level of peace that I have before I go to bed, the abundance of the level of uh, monetary wealth that comes in without me trying to force it, it's matching. And I want everybody to hear this. It's matching all the prices that I paid where I learned the lesson and I simply want to teach people the lessons so that they can compress time frames and not have to go 30 years. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I want to start jumping into this and what you're doing now and, yeah. and all of the wonderful things that you're doing but I can't just leave it with you in prison in France. <laughs> right. So let's go ahead and fast forward to okay. your journey and where you are today. So you were locked up. You got a sentence of 12 years. Yeah. How much time did you end up serving? I ended up, I, I ended up serving two and a half years. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fucking amazing. And I wasn't expecting to get out. Yeah. So how did you get out? Why'd you get out so early? I'm, I'm a really spiritual guy. And so this, I might get a little woo-woo on people. This is why I felt I got out. I was extremely negative when I was out. And I remember when I was free, I used to always say, 
I feel like I'm so far away from where I'm supposed to be, like I'm in jail inside of my own body. And then all of a sudden, you're in jail. So far away from where I'm supposed to be. And then they allowed us to watch um, uh, uh, movies like once a month. And then Shawshank Redemption came on. It's a movie that's based in prison. And they said they can take everything they want away from me, but they can't take away my mind. And instantly I said, well, as long as I'm doing everything that I love, then I'm actually a free man. Because when I was out there, I gave up on everything that actually sparked joy in my own life to do everything that everybody else wanted me to do. So I was a shell. I was in prison inside of a prison inside of my own body while I was free, which means outside freedom does not determine your, your mental freedom. Yeah, so you weren't really free out there. Right. I was actually in prison. Then when I was in prison, I realized that I could actually be free. Be free. You ever just said somebody's name? It's like, man, I just keep thinking about you. And all of a sudden they text you or they call you. It's like, man, I was just talking. Yeah. Well, I strongly believe that the thoughts that you give the most power to over and over and you visualize and you become what you visualize, that the universe becomes plastic and starts shaping and molded according to whatever your dream, goal, or desire is. So in, my, in this context, I instantly became a free man because I got back to singing. I love singing and drawing portraits and visual artists and stuff that actually bring me joy. I was giving portraits away to other inmates. One inmate goes, man, every time you sing, it makes me feel free. And he was in another cell. So I would just sing and it would bring him joy. In the yard where everybody's like fighting, sometimes stabbing, walking around, I was like, man, I wanna run. Every time I run, it makes me feel free. But nobody else was running. Within a month, over 90 people were running with me, inmates. Killers, drug dealers, whatever, they were all running with me, but I was just doing what actually made me happy. The, 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 the guy, um, the, the, they call him the Sauvignon, so it's the guy who, the, the warden or whatever, brings me into the office, said, ever since you've been running, there's been less stabbings, less drug deals, less fights. And he said, thank you for what you're doing. A week later, one week later, when I became the characteristic of freedom, love, joy. Jones, you're free to go home. The drugs were fake. Damn. I truly do feel that I provided too much value for the space that I was in, but because the space was too small for what I was giving, it had to find a new home. Kind of like a, a mother when she's pregnant, the baby grows on the inside. It grows too big. The new home is on the outside of the womb. Sure. So I feel like from a spiritual context, the value that I was giving, you know, because our, you know, we got this physical body, but we also have a spiritual body sure. around us that it was too big for the space. And what once grew on the inside gave birth to someone who was saying mind, body, soul, heart, spirit, I'm free. That's how I feel I got out. And no one else has any other answers. That's amazing. Yeah. That must have been walking out those doors two and a half years into a 12 year stint. Yeah. 
And it was just manifested. And two months later, I had a $500,000 record deal with Ludacris. Because <laughs> I was writing songs while I was in prison. Really? And making beats in my head because when you're in prison, all you have is your mind. So I became super creative and and I was like making, I wrote all these songs. Well, I had freaking books of songs. Went on MySpace, it was like new to me, went on MySpace, start hitting up people. All I need is one person to say yes. Well, guess what? My It was my play brothers, a guy named D-Ray Davis, comedian. He was like, you can have food, shelter, a ride anywhere you want. You want to sing, right? I was like, I said, yeah. He said, don't come home unless you have a song. Guess what it activated? Right. That same guy where my mom says, you want those shoes? Well, you can make your own money. It activated that same thing. And I messaged 1,000 people on MySpace. This is before it's spam, start getting people. Sure. 1,000 people. But who's really going to do that? Life cannot deny someone who gives their absolute all, but people give up too soon. I messaged to get one person. From that one person, guess what? I wrote 28 songs. 30 days, I had 28 songs. Two weeks later, Ludacris comes to the comedy club. I hand him my CD. Month later, $500,000 record deal. So you're back in the business. Back in the business. That's amazing. Yeah. So when you get back to town after getting out of lockup, where do you head? Do you head back to L.A.? Do you go home to Mo City? What do you do? Nah, so I went to, I went to New York and because uh, they had to release me where, where I had, um, they had to release me where I had went in because I went in from New York so they had to release me to the same state. So I went out to New York. Started stay, I stayed with a friend of mine named Sam, you know, she let me stay at her house and no rent or anything. And then one time she went out of town and I was sitting on a park bench and I fell asleep. My battery died on my phone. I had no money on my, um, my subway pass and she lived all the way uptown. I'm talking about like on 79th and I'm like in union square. So that's 79 blocks and it's freezing cold and it's raining. I fall asleep and I wake up and there's nothing but homeless people around me. And I was like, I gotta go home. I gotta go back to Mo City. I gotta remember my roots. I gotta go back to 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 my favorite teacher, Miss Cushenberry. I just need to have a conversation with her. I need to go back and speak with Coach Chernock at Lantern Lane. I need to go back to my old, and it's almost like rebooting myself. And I went back, climbed the same trees, start eating the same foods and doing everything and hanging out with the people that kinda like, it was like I was recharging and once I recharged, I went to Los Angeles. That's when the modeling started. That's crazy, bro. Yeah. So what happens next? So I go, I go to Los Angeles, only I'm 20 pounds heavier than I was, so I can't fit in any sample size clothes. How old are you at this point? Let's see, I get out 2005, 20, 24 maybe okay yeah mid-20s yeah so how does it go so you get back to LA you get back into your modeling no I try 
but I, right. I'm not booking any gigs. So what happened with the whole $500,000 deal with Ludacris? So was that the music? Was that for producing or was it for, nah, that was for, for writing? Singing. For singing. Okay. Yeah, singing and writing. So How long did that last? That lasted until, see, I get out in 2005. I get my deal. Did it just not turn into anything? You know what? It's when I first signed with them, they were like, we don't want to change anything about you. You're so unique. And I had my core group of like underground following. And then I started making different kind of music that I wasn't connected to. And then all of a sudden I found myself on stage with gangster rappers, which was, nothing was like that, but my music did not match that. So that the image didn't match that. So it was just like, what am I doing? Yeah. Sounds like you're ahead of your time. It, it was, it was, it was so crazy. And I found myself changing who I was so that I could fit the pattern of a certain kind of way in which they wanted to. And then it wasn't authentic. Not one bit. Even my, my, my older fans, they were like, it's just not the same anymore. Yeah, it's like, it's not true. I feel like you're not being yourself. And I'm just like. Tell me what happened, because that wasn't working out for you. Yeah. The music kind of faded. Yeah. You went to L.A. to get into the music a little bit, mm -hmm. and it didn't quite work out for you. So how did that transition into what you're doing now with so, wellness? So here's how the trend. I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but I just say a big, big, big well-named artist, platinum, multi-platinum selling artist. I was in the studio with him. I wrote a song, came up with the melody, wrote half the song. There was other people that were not in the studio, came up with the melody. And I'm like, yo, this song is gonna be crazy. My last straw in music was, Okay, so how many points am I getting? What's my, so I can, you know, I'm living in my car at this time, trying to figure things out because I'm not making any money. And that $500,000 record deal was contingent upon me putting out an album that never came out. So I only had enough, I only got a, a bonus and that's how I got my car. All the money was waiting for me to put out an album. Which you never did. Never put out an album. So this person said, oh no, we changed the whole song up, their management. That song came out and nothing about it was changed. Still my same melody, still my lyrics. And then the song goes number one. And then it wins a Grammy. You gonna hum that song or something? And so, and so <laughs> while I'm living in my car and this was actually my big break. You're hearing your song on the radio. I'm hearing a song that I wrote on the radio and the guy's friend, who wasn't even in the studio, gets the credit, and he wasn't even there. For writing the music. For writing the music. And I say, you know what? Y'all can keep all this shit. I was like, it, it, they say, oh, you just got to go through this in music. No, I don't. I know God put something else inside of me. I know. There's no possible way. I know what I'm capable of. So I was just like. Maybe I'm not meant to do music. Maybe I'm meant to do something else. So when, I, when you ask yourself questions, I feel like the universe is going to give you the answer. Sure. So I just start asking different questions. Like, what, what else can I do? What is there meant to do? I'm not making any money. And then all of a sudden, my girlfriend breaks up with me. And then my daughter pretty much disowns me. My mom is dying in the hospital. She's like, colostomy bag. 
My brother's 350 pounds. Every, it seemed like everybody was dying around me and I was also dying. It's like the cemetery is not where you see the most dead people. You see, it's where you see people walking around with something that's died inside of them and that's their soul. That was me. And so here's the transition. So I'm 40 pounds heavier. I've been 155, 145, now I'm pushing 203 waistline from a 31 to a 36 and I know how the people gain weight in my family it's not small so it started happening to me insecurity set in I stopped wanting to look at my I stopped loving myself all these different things set in and it was nothing I couldn't figure out and then my girlfriend at the time she goes you love to help people. Why don't you do something in health and fitness? I was like, no, do this. I got to figure out how to get this music, but I don't want it, but I got to figure out a way. My mom goes, you love health. You love health and fitness because I was like training people for free at the, at a mountain hiking with them for free. You love helping people. You love inspiring people. Why don't you do something in that? No, I got to And I wasn't listening So then my boy. He comes up to me. He's like, yo, man, we got we to gotta figure something out. So I would go over to his house every single day. And he was like, pull up uh, Craigslist. Mark down, 15, mark down the things. What do you love to do? And this is going to be real good for all the entrepreneurs out there. What do you love to do? And what are you extremely good at? That's like effortless to you. And I've made a list of all these things. And then I went on Craigslist. I'm like, okay, what's connected to all these things? I love to sing. Boom, start doing singing telegrams. You know, I love, I'm like good with kids. Okay, I'm um, uh, babysitting, washing cars, doing all these different art, whatever. And I would make a list and I would send out emails every single day. I was, then all of a sudden, then the opportunity for me to become a health and wellness coach came, but it didn't come when I was like, oh, when is it going to happen for me? It came when I got out and I was busting my butt and I was trying every single way possible. Boom. Then it happened. But you know what that match? It matches when I, uh, went to the modeling and I got rejected, 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 rejected. And I was going to quit. Then it happened. You must grow through your nose to earn your powerful. Yes. And so when I went through all those things and nobody was, I wasn't really making any money. My powerful. Yes. Was on the heels of six straight weeks every day looking for ways to earn money, to make an impact, to do something. He was like, so what do you want to do more than anything? I was like, man, honestly, I want to be healthy because I feel like crap. I want to inspire people and I want to make a, what is this in my eye? I want to make a, I don't want to make a bunch of money. I want to make a bunch of money doing something that I would do for free. Not even realizing I was working people out for free and I was just trying, but I just didn't know a way. All of a sudden, bam, an opportunity came for me to work people out for free, get healthy, earn a living and support people to do the same thing. And guess what happened? 
I supported my brother. He lost 150 pounds. I supported my mom. She lost 72 pounds. No colostomy bag. Rock climbing now. And I saw through health what happened. It was like my whole world opened up. I dropped 35 pounds, put on 19 pounds of muscle, and then went on to do like triathlons. And it's just like, what's more? What's next? What's next? What's... And that evolution just led me to personal growth and transformation and understanding um, the childlike trauma. And once I understood that, I'm like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. And I didn't even know it. Isn't that crazy? And I found, but I had to learn all these lessons so that when I finally had a platform to talk, because I always knew that I was going to be on TV or be amongst the, on stages of thousands. I just didn't know how. But I had to go through all of that so that I could relate to so many different kinds of people. You put me in any room, multimillionaires, thugs. You put me in there with the prep kids, with the, the, the you know, the- The you kickers, put, the drug dealers, the prisoners. You put me in prisoners. any room, and just like you, I'm a chameleon, because I went through all this stuff in my life. Already. And that's when I realized I was supposed to go through all of that. There's a reason why I could go into the jail and they could relate because I went to jail. There's a reason why I can talk to this person, this stripper, and she was like, man, I'm, I'm following you. I used to be a stripper. You know, there's a reason why I can, you know, I can go into so many different avenues. You had to experience that so you could tell the story that people can relate to. From you've a been place there. of personal experience. Already. That's beautiful. And this is how transformation happened. I couldn't speak on a transformed life if I haven't transformed my own life. People are like, yo, you're so powerful. I was like, you know where I got my powers from? If you really want to walk a second in my shoes, I know what it could have looked like. Sure. A second. You might not want to do it. However, I adapted over time. And because of that adaptation, now with all the same energy that I did chasing women, breaking into cars, I just transfer it to making a difference and giving back and doing the same thing that you're doing. And the universe is like, this is what I've been trying to tell you the whole time. So now here's some extra resources so you can continue sharing this message. It's amazing. And, and you know, it's, I want to continue the journey, continue the story. But what you just said is so beautiful. I really kind of want to end it on that note. Yeah. And I know, you know, we're close. We're friends. We see each other when you come into town. I want to follow this up with yeah. part two. Let's do it for sure. So I want to end it here. But before I do, and we're going to tell everybody in the comments where to find you to come see what you're doing now. Uh, uh, you know, now you're a transformational coach. Yeah. You're giving back. You're in fitness and health and wellness. You're all over the globe. You're helping hundreds of thousands of people. You're absolutely amazing. You're an influencer. You're a public figure. You have a huge following. You're a star in my fucking And I'm life. now a married man to a beautiful, amazing wife. One of the last things I was going to touch on is you just recently got married. Yeah. And we're going to cover that in the next one as well. Perfect. 
So congratulations on that. That's absolutely amazing. Before we leave, though, you're dropping a book in five days. Yeah. Tell me about this book, and then we're going to call it a wrap. All right. So it's called Change Your Mindset, Change Your Life. My whole transformation started when I had a, it was 3.43 in the morning in 2011, and I just cried. My window busted out. I was on the corner of La Brea and Hollywood in California. And I said, I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to be surrounded by nothing but positive people. I just want to inspire people. And I want to make a bunch of money, but I want the money to represent something that I passionately believe in that I would do for free. Just show me a sign. A week later, I'm at the gas station and a homeless guy walks up to me asking me for money. And I say, you have more money than me. And he said, change your mindset, change your life. Boom. Pattern interrupt. I never had a word that stopped me in my tracks and made me think about my whole life. From that very moment, every day, from literally almost eight and a half years ago, when I don't feel like doing something, be like, change your mindset, change your life. And I'll just will myself to do it. If uh, normally take the, the, the escalators, change your mindset, change your life. So I take the stairs, normally jail soap, change your mindset, change your life. Boom. Normally I'm unhealthy, change your mindset, change your life. And I will myself to be healthy. And I'm eight years outside of my habitual pattern. So that's why my results are that much different. Because most people, uh, we're, we're habitual creatures by nature. I'm eight years removed from my pattern by one philosophy that's called change your mindset, change your life. So my book is the collection of stories, the principles and the lessons that I learned through my personal experience, what happened with my life, what what was before, what happened with my life and how you can apply those same principles to your life So, because my will, my message to humanity is there is a calling on the inside of you. And if you, if you're not aware of it, you're going to die with all of your dreams inside of you. So my book is an everyday people's guide to understanding how to move the stuff out of the way that's not serving a purpose and utilize what's already inside of you so that you could potentially produce extraordinary results in your life. And that is the whole message of change your mindset, change your life. And the book is freaking crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's dropping next week. February 17th on Amazon everywhere where there's Amazon. And you, uh, which is everywhere. World. And your wife is right by your side through all this. What's your wife's name? Absolutely. Her name is Blair Rachel Jones. Blair Rachel Jones. Yeah. Appreciate you letting me have them for the day. Well, I appreciate you coming out. Mm-hmm. GarenJones.com. Where else can people find you, Garen? Garen.Jones and the Garen Jones. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's yeah, always bro. good to kick it and catch up, bro. Yeah, man. I appreciate and look forward it. to it. Already. And we'll hang out a little bit longer. Appreciate y'all tuning in. This is Garen Jones, GarenJones.com. I'm Jonathan Wiseman. This is the grit, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next one. Take care, guys.